helping families be happy. Welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family love and relationships. I am your host, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. Now, I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Libby Kistner, who will be talking with us about her book, Dear Libby. Welcome to the podcast, Libby. It's such a pleasure to have you. Hi, Carla. It's great to be here. Thank you for making time. So tell me and our guests a little bit about you. Where do you live and what makes you you? I live in Jerusalem, Israel. I grew up in Brooklyn, then lived in Montreal for seven years, then came to Israel. So I've been uh, traveling, wandering and exploring the world. Um, I also have nine children and four grandchildren. And I love to write. So from Brooklyn, so how long did you live in Brooklyn? I lived in Brooklyn for 21 years, my childhood. And then when I got married, I moved to Canada. Okay. So Brooklyn for 21 years, then Montreal, and now Jerusalem. How long have you been in Jerusalem? 20 years now. 20 years. Oh, my goodness. And you have nine children. (laughs) Where, Where were your children born? So my oldest was born in the States, in New York. I had three in Canada and five in Israel. My goodness. Okay, so that's a book of its own, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever hear of the fruit sabra, the sabra fruit? It's a cactus fruit. No. So it's a, I guess it grows in the desert uh, climate and it's prickly on the outside and very tender on the inside and is, is native born Israelis are called sabras because they kind of, it's a metaphor to their uh, personalities, probably because it's a rough life here. So they're, they're, they may seem prickly on the outside, but they're really soft and tender inside. So I say this with pride. I have five Sabra children. Oh, I absolutely love that. What a beautiful image. Oh my goodness. Okay, Sabras. I think I know plenty of Sabras in life. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. All right. So you love to write. And your writing brought you to write the most beautiful book, um, Dear Libby. Tell us about Dear Libby. So Dear Libby started off as a column in a magazine called Mishpacha. It's a Hebrew word for family. And um, for 15 years, children and teens and adults from all across the world sent questions, asking for advice on a whole host of different kind of questions that were troubling them. And when I started, I was really, really pressured because I got these piles of letters and I felt like I had to help all these children or adults or teenagers. And it took me time to realize that 
I think the best part for people were the ability to ask the question or an address, you know, to whom they can ask the questions, not necessarily the answers. So I think asking questions is more powerful than receiving answers. I love that. I am a firm believer in curiosity and in question asking. And absolutely, sometimes just putting it out there, having you know, voicing something, whether it's whether you speak to somebody or whether you're writing the question, it makes you feel as though you're not alone, doesn't it? I imagine that felt it felt like that for all of your your readers. Yes. And also thinking that somewhere out there is the answer to a question that we may have, might have is an illusion to keep us secure and certain because there is no um, answer to any question. There is only, you know, one answer and there can be many, I mean, to say it's not one answer, but there can be many different answers. Different circumstances require different answers. The per same person asking the same question in a different situation might need to have a different answer. The answers are always different. And the idea of asking questions as a way to discover what we might discover, and that can be different anytime, is wonderful without having to feel certain that there is a very specific answer. There can be many answers and many options. That's such a beautiful way of looking at it because you're right, our minds do go straight to, to wanting to know the definitive answer so that we can feel safe and secure. Yet you're right when we open up and say, hmm, this is just one possible answer. Life is uncertain. Answers are, are definitely sometimes a little uncertain. So let's just explore. Right. And for me, that was a process as well as the person giving the answers, because in the beginning, I would think I have to cover all ground, you know, and answer any possible answer that might help this person asking the question. And it took me time to realize that even if I will answer every answer that I can think of, it will still not be the definitive answer. It's just one answer in a moment of time. Absolutely. You're making me really think. You just prompted something in my in my brain where sometimes when I'm helping somebody with, you know, an, an article or something, and then I finish the the article, I read the finished article, and other experts have chimed in. And I think, oh, I love that perspective. I didn't offer that answer. And so they're offering things that I didn't think of. And here I thought I did this nice comprehensive, but you're right. There are as many answers out there as there are brains, as there are people who, you know, many ways of looking at things. And I think that not only helps keep us curious, but it also keeps us humble and, and in a space of not knowing and being okay with not knowing. Yes, um, I think Montaigne said, had a medallion around his neck that said, I know, what do I know? What do I know? <laughs> and I think that's a great mantra to have. What do I know? Absolutely. And you're making me think of one of my favorite songs, the Louis Armstrong one, It's a Wonderful World, where he's, he's singing and he says, uh, you know, and he's speaking about the children. He says, and they'll know much more than I'll 
ever know or never know. It's I've seen it written both ways, but it does. It, that always reminds me. I listen to it every morning. It always reminds me of I, I really know nothing in the whole scheme of things. There's I know nothing. And the best we can do is to try to when we do try to answer something to offer as sound and sage um, advice or insights as possible. Right. And that's why I also love stories, mm-hmm. because if, if we know really very little, there's very little we know. And what we do is connect the dots and make stories and then live by those stories. We might as well write stories that are stories of hope and optimism and positive stories that will encourage us and inspire us and make us feel happy. Absolutely. The power of stories is so incredible where we look at the um, fairy tales, right, that were handed down from generation to generation to generation before they were romanticized and sanitized into, you know, Disney versions. How much truth there is in those stories and how much, um, what would you say is support, support and guidance in the simplest of tales. It, and and I think it's so beautiful because we can look, you know, from children. I, one of the reasons I love children's books so much is you can take a children's book and learn so much from it because of the purity. Yes, yes children's books and adult books. And I actually was, I think, seven years old when I found the first book I read. Um, I mean, adult book. It was about a lot of stories of pain and sorrow. And I found it in my mother's drawer and I read it. Three quarters of it went over my head because I couldn't handle the amount of pain. Um, But um, and, and I think that's what reinforced to me the importance of writing stories of hope and optimism and joy. And there's so much pain in the world and everybody is struggling with their own challenges and difficulties. In a way, when people read these painful stories, they feel not alone. But on the other hand, I think they're dealing with so much already. So why add to that? Why not bring more light stories, more happy stories, more positive stories? That's so true. And it's interesting. Again, you know, I'm connecting with you so much across all these miles. I think one of my first adult books, if not my first adult book, and I still remember it was called Death Be Not Proud. And it was a story of a young boy who had brain cancer. And I have a copy of it to this day. Um, And I remember being struck by the magnitude of his suffering and his pain, yet his hope. And I think the same with same with you. So much of it was above me, yet, you know, heart to heart, you connect and you think that kind of suffering, what what is that? How is that? And how can I not, you know, how can I counteract that in the world? What can I do to bring joy and to stop suffering? And I remember thinking that as, as a child going, no, this isn't right. This young boy shouldn't have had to suffer that way. So you're right. I, I really love that you want to bring hope and joy to people. So is that... And children also have a, a harder time to accept that this world could be a dark place and there's so much suffering. And as children, we might think we could, we could find a way to make it better for everyone. <laughs> oh, Libby, I don't think I've, I've, um, I, I've lost that. 
<laughs> That's good. <laughs> like you said, you want your answers um, to your to your column to help everybody and to you know fix and you and everybody. And I still feel that it's like if I can only help one more person, one more person. And isn't that one of the joys of life? So. Back but to- I think as an, an adult, we get to realize that the suffering and the pain, the joy and hope, they're all parts of life, you know, part of life. It's all what makes us living beings, having this human experience where we, we grow from the pain and we come out the other side with joy. You know, I was just having a conversation with other writers about writing, and some people say, writing is so joyful and other people will say writing is so hard so what is it is it joyful or is it hard and i think it's a good metaphor for life because writing can sometimes be hard you know it can be painful and frustrating until we find the right way to say something that we want to say and search around for the words but once we find it we delight in that perfect word or that perfect phrase. So that's part of life. There are certain experiences in life that will not be comfortable, but we grow from that. And the growth and what we learn and how we come out on the other side is what makes the suffering joyful. Absolutely. You've just summarized my first book with Familius, Joy from Fear. Oh, that's it's that's the title. And I absolutely believe I'm with you on that, that we um, part of our journey is learning how to transform our pain, our fears into joy and doing it mindfully. So tell me about Dear Libby. How does how does that book tell us take us on a on a walk into certain parts of your book, which I won't reveal because I think it's so fascinating. I'd like you to do some reveals. So the Dear Libby book um, came out of 15 years of listening to questions. Um, It was a weekly column. um, And I realized that the most questions people were struggling with had to do with relationships. And so I chose friendship. Dear Libby is, will you answer my questions about friendship? Because that was the typical question. What do I do when my friend ignores me? What do I do? How do I handle loneliness? Or someone just stole my friend, what can I do? What can I do when my friends get together and forget to invite me? All these questions that Mm. had to do with friendship. And I wanted to address that in the book. Um, So I use the same questions from the years that of questions that came, but a lot of the answers I rewrote. Um, part of that because writing a column for 15 years, after 15 years, I wouldn't necessarily answer the same answer I answered 15 years before. As I said, our answers evolve and there are different answers at different times. And so um, I built the book with seven chapters. The first one being seeing yourself once you see yourself, other people seeing you is the bonus because there is always someone seeing you. Even if your friends ignore you or don't notice you, there is always one seeing you and that is you. And the second chapter is to care for yourself. And because 
person who can really care for yourself and knows exactly what you need at exactly the moment that you need it is you. The third one is comforting yourself because as much as we crave for others to comfort us, not everybody knows how to do that or what would be the perfect way to comfort us in any given moment, but there is someone in us who knows how to comfort us. And that mm-hmm. is again, you. you. And to comfort yourself, you need to listen to yourself because how do we know what comfort we're really seeking? It's by listening to yourself. And then once you listen to yourself and you know how to comfort yourself and you know how to care for yourself and you know how to see yourself, bringing all that together, you get to the joy of expressing yourself, which is chapter five. And expressing yourself is in a way very um, complimentary because you also get to listen to yourself and also get to listen to others. When you express yourself, you're like, singing a song, you're in harmony with another person, you're listening and you're expressing. Every writer knows that while we write, we also have the reader in mind. It's a two-way act, right? We're listening to what the writer might want to hear and we're expressing ourselves. So we are already starting to connect with others, which is chapter six. You connect with others. And also by expressing yourself and finding the vehicle through which you love to express yourself. Some people love to express themselves through dance. Other people like to express themselves through painting. But by expressing yourself, you find your kindred spirits. You find the people that love to express themselves in that way too. And so you connect with others. And the last chapter was to keep growing because connecting with others helps us grow. We encourage each other's creativity flourishes in an environment where we encourage another, where we're committed to one another, we, where we let our self-expression rise together. Such a beautiful walk through the chapters of your book. And I get chills because of the way you explained it. It's such a beautiful, a beautiful look at basically psychotherapy in essence the psyche right you must get to know the self and learn the language of the self and so many people are externally oriented and you ask them how are you feeling and then i don't know i'm okay or whatever right and you're saying very clearly tune into the self and by being able to tune into the self then you can tune in to others but i also really love that part where you're very clearly saying you're never alone when you know yourself and love yourself and are tuned into yourself you are with another person another being which is yourself that tuned in version so you are never alone what a beautiful way of of expressing it and i also love when you were talking about writing um and as a writer i completely get you that sometimes you're joy, you know, full of joy while you're writing. And other times you're frustrated while you're writing. And in this situation, you're talking about how when you write for the self, you're writing for you, but you're also at the same time saying, will my reader get this? Will it resonate with my reader? And isn't that exactly how we are when we are trying to express ourselves to, you know, a child or a partner or a business associate? We were trying to say, okay, this is, but I need to be able to 
to make my words come out in a way that will be meaningful to you. And what a dance that is and how beautifully you explain it in Dear Libby. Thank you. Self-expression is a gift that we all have. And um, I think I learned to express myself from a very young age and it gave me so much joy that I have this longing to help others tap into that joy of self-expression. And because writing is my medium, I help other people do the same through writing, but I also am aware there are so many different ways that people can express themselves and to, to give birth to that self-expression, to be who you are and to live fully alive with the sense of vitality that is yours and only yours. I think that could make a big difference in the world if people would just be in touch with their special, unique style of self-expression in whatever form and shape that takes. And that is so beautiful. And I think of the, you know, the familiar core values of love together, play together, learn together, work together, talk together, heal together, read together, eat together, laugh together expressed together. I added that one in, right? Mm -hmm. That when we make room, you're absolutely right. Whether your gift is dance, it's whether it's cooking or gardening or writing or singing, you know, whatever it is, when families make space for that, and I imagine you've made space for your children in that way, where you invite that creativity in. And uh, because there's we, a lot of creativity in this house. <laughs> I can Everyone only in imagine. Their own way. Someone plays the guitar, another one draws pictures, another one, you know, everybody with their own special form of creativity. And when everybody expresses their creativity, we can all learn from each other and enjoy together and play with each other. And nobody has to have a specific style, you know, no one has to do one thing. Everyone can allow who they are to come through and whatever style wants to come through them. You're making me pause and think, you know, within your family, if, if, if the family of the world had that attitude, right? How much more harmony there would be if we allowed people, if we expressed our creativity with kindness and respect for others and others respected us expressing our creativity, the world would be a much more peaceful place, wouldn't it? And so much more filled with love. Yes, we would all be thinking about how can we contribute and add more comfort to the world rather than thinking, how can I find relief from my problems or from my pain or from my frustrations. There is a big difference. It's subtle, but it's pretty big if you think about the difference between looking for relief and looking for comfort. Looking for relief is this fight and flight kind of attitude where we want to run from the pain or from the discomfort. And finding comfort is seeing what can I add? In other words, we recognize that there are struggles and challenges and discomfort in life. I don't necessarily have to run from it or distract myself, but I can always find something with which to comfort it. I absolutely love the way you put that because it's such um, so indicative of what is 
both right and not quite so right with the world today. Those who know how to self-soothe in healthy ways versus those who have an escapist mentality. If I drink more, if I use drugs, if I buy more, right? All of that external rather than saying, wait a second, what I need right now is to draw or write or walk or rest, right? That, that self-soothing, that natural piece that I think we are so disconnected from that. And I love that you brought that up because I think it's so important. And it does start with, um, it does start with the parenting. Yeah. So I believe that what makes a happy family, whether we have one child or nine or 20, is the calm, comforting presence of a nurturing parent. Imagine if more children in the world would have this gift in their childhood of a calm, comforting presence in their parent. What impact would that have on the world? Oh, goodness, Libby. What, what an impact that would have. Isn't that the truth and the, the basic you know, message of attachment, right? The attachment you know, world of psychology, that when you have that calm, nurturing, attuned parent, that that is how a child get, you know, learns and then develops that secure attachment style, which they can carry through life as an internal grounding force. And it sounds very much, I have the benefit of being able to see you during this podcast, and I can see how grounded and centered and just serene you are. So I imagine, yes, I imagine you just give that gift to your nine children. And (laughs) my parents had 10. So, and that was, you know, in a a different in the different world. Yes, but you have nine in today's world, which is quite, quite amazing. Um, So as we begin to wrap up, what are a few more gifts that you would like to offer our listeners today? I want to say that everyone listening, you have something profound within you that wants to be shared with the world. You have the capacity to make a real difference and to inspire another person to touch someone's life. And it's important for you to know that and to be in touch with that and to be aware of that. I also wanna say that when my kids were little, I created a little book for them by taking pictures from a day in their lives, waking up, brushing their teeth, getting on the school bus and so on. And it was a wonderful gift to them. And that's what got me started writing books. And I believe that everyone has the transformational power of words within them. And I see writing almost as a responsibility we all have to capture, to capture our experiences, our life lessons, the wisdom we've gained from this fleeting life we've been given, both to answer for ourselves and also to pass along to our children, to the next generation, to continue weaving the wisdom And in that process of creating art, the true art we create is ourselves. Oh, my goodness. What a most beautiful parting piece. The true art we create is ourselves. Oh, my goodness. And you are so right. Um, But that and it's a lifelong process. And for anyone who is listening to think, oh, but I can't write or I'm not gifted or I'm not this. Oh, of course you are. We each have 
as you say, Libby, we each have a creative element within us. And it doesn't matter what it looks like in other people. What matters is that you bring forth whatever it is in you that begs to be expressed. Exactly. Oh, I am just so delighted that you've taken the time to be with us today. I just, my heart is so happy and full and I thank you so much, Libby. It's been just such a joy speaking with you. Um, My goodness, you have so much wisdom to offer. So thank you. Thank you. And so Libby, it has been such a joy. Where can our listeners find you? So my book, Dear Libby, is available on Amazon um, and on any other online um, uh, place where they sell books, but also on Familias, on the Familias website. And people can contact me through my website at LibbyKistner.com. That's L-I-B-B-Y-K-I-S-Z-N-E-R.com. Thank you so much, Libby. And again, that was Libby Kissner, K-I-S-Z-N-E-R. And her wonderful book is Dear Libby, a book that we can all embrace and cherish. And um, the, the writing style is so accessible for for all ages. So again, listeners, whether you're, you know, talking to an eight-year-old or an 80-year-old, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. So as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. Would be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, be sure to visit us at familius.com, where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can make the world a happier place. And thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It has been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can do. We talk together, learn together, play work eat together we laugh together